Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The country's urge to batten down the hatches as Storm Barra makes its way to Irish shores. Storm Barra, it's developing out in the Atlantic now and it's barreling towards Ireland. It's uh, what our American colleagues call a weather bomb. The government's accused of trying to silence Neffet as they grapple with more messy COVID messaging. The live entertainment industry reacts to cancel gigs and the renewal of restrictions on audience capacity as of midnight tonight. And later, how prepared are we for the big weather events? Approaching the west coast of Ireland, I'd first like to go to Virgin Media news reporter Nicole Gurnan, who's at Met Erin with the very latest. And Nicole, we're hearing schools, childcare facilities, other services, all affected tomorrow by this impending storm. What more can you tell us about those closures and indeed what counties are most affected? Well, Claire, in counties that are affected by red or orange wind warnings, all schools, third-level institutions and childcare facilities have been advised to close tomorrow. As well as this, there's also going to be closures of vaccination centres and testing centres in these counties and court sittings will not operate in these counties. And as well as closures, there will also be an awful lot of cancellations. The HSE saying this evening that an awful lot of hospital appointments will be cancelled, flights out of Cork Airport cancelled as well, and there will also be cancellations of many events such as wildlife at Dublin Zoo tomorrow evening. Now as well as this people also being advised to shelter in place in anywhere that is covered by a red warning but if people do have to go out on the roads they are being advised to watch out for windblown debris, fallen trees, fallen power lines and spot flooding as well and also beware of the fact that there will be many local road closures as well tomorrow. Also a general warning Claire to stay away from coastal areas throughout the day tomorrow. So Nicole, what are we to expect during the night and could those weather alerts that are in place, particularly in orange counties and yellow counties, escalate further and change as the day goes on? Well, Claire, forecasters here at Met Air and saying this evening that they do think they have a good handle on this storm and the path of it now. So they say it is unlikely that those orange and red statuses will change right now. However, they are obviously updating all their modelling all the time. So people are advised to keep an eye on the Met Air and website. But in terms of those counties that are affected by the red wind warning, Cork and Kerry, it'll kick in for them from 6am tomorrow and last until about 9pm tomorrow night. And then in terms of Claire, will start a little bit later from about 4pm tomorrow until 1am on Wednesday and what this is going to mean is that we could see winds in these counties reaching 80 kilometres or more an hour 
gusts of over 130 kilometres or more and as well as that very heavy rain also some storm surges which could bring coastal flooding and some spot flooding as well but as well as that as you mentioned an awful lot of counties affected by an orange wind warning the majority of them coastal counties and that will last for much of the day tomorrow and as well as that there's also a status yellow wind and rain warning for the entire country from 2am tomorrow morning until 6pm on Wednesday so forecasters here at Medarin saying that it is a very serious weather event and it does need to be taken very seriously. Okay, Nicole at Met Erin, thank you for bringing us up to date on that tonight. And we'll be going back to Storm Barra again later on in the programme with Carlo Weathers, Alan O'Reilly and environmental journalist John Gibbons. Now, today, Thonish that Leo Varadkar was forced to explain the government's attempt to streamline communication around coronavirus strategy following accusations by Sinn Féin of trying to silence Neffet. There's been a lot of confusion, I think, um, among the public around mixed messaging, and we've been criticised for mixed messaging, and I accept that criticism. And that's because, as Atishik said, there's been a plethora of voices out there, you know, people from NEFA, people from the government, people from NIAC. Um, the public uh, often find it hard to distinguish between all these different bodies and which is the government and which isn't, and who's speaking on behalf of who. Uh, so all that's happening now is people are asked to coordinate their media performances to let GIS know that they're going to be uh, on a particular programme and uh, then you get the up-to-date brief so that you're across things and you know you're prepared for questions that you mightn't be prepared for and uh, that applies to ministers and the government as much as it applies to uh, anybody in any other bodies. Well, on my first panel tonight is Sinn Féin TD Louise O'Reilly, Minister of State for Skills and Further Education Niall Collins and Ireland Editor for the Independent.ie Fionnán Sheehan. And Fionnán, to come to you first, uh, the communications problem they're trying to resolve is ironically generating plenty of news headlines today and maybe a little confusion. Can you take us uh, back to what this protocol actually entails and, and why they're doing it two years into this pandemic? Yeah, the, the reason for it emerging now appears to be a number of ministers being upset that last Thursday night uh, details of what Neffet were recommending uh, following their meeting and after the, the letter was sent on to the, to the Minister for Health uh, were then leaked in the media and they were learning about it uh, via the media rather than, than first hand. So you'd have to look at that and say, well, a couple of things. Well, A, that's the protocol that you have in place. If you don't want that structure in place, you're perfectly entitled to change it. NEFET are not the central bank. They're not an entirely independent uh, and separate entity. They're, in effect, just a subcommittee within the Department uh, of Health. So talk to the Minister for Health about that. The notion that this government of any government is complaining about uh, leaking by anybody else is one of the most remarkable uh, ironies. Tanish to himself under investigation the Gardaí for the last year, Taoiseach's Department carrying out an investigation, colleague of, of uh, Louise's uh, accuses a cabinet minister of leaking, which is a, a breach of the constitution. He does it on the floor uh, of the Dáil, uh, under privilege. That same minister, three months later, has not issued a single complaint uh, about that. So he's happy to let that uh, accusation stand, uh, it, it would appear. So now they're saying that they want to streamline communication so that people know uh, what, what the brief is. This has basically been seen uh, as a means to put Neffet back uh, in their box, uh, to return some of the, the public health of, uh, officials uh, back, back into the, into the, the quiet areas uh, and not be out on the, on the airwaves talking. Okay, so basically here, Niall, the government should look at its own communications failures in this regard, that essentially the government has scapegoated Neffet 
just to get away from the fact that it's been failing left, right and centre on the messaging front? No, I wouldn't agree. Look, um, we're accused last week of mixed messaging, uh, poor communication. This week, when we try to rectify it, put a bit more structure around it, we're being accused of gagging Neffet. Nothing could be further from the truth, I think, in fairness. Um, if there's um, an attempt, a reasonable attempt made at more coordination, that's not a bad thing. I think part of the problem to date has been when Neffet meets and gives its recommendations, um, they do... Uh, make it into the public domain, mm. uh, rightly or wrongly. Is that down to the timing of it? So this letter comes yeah, about on yeah, Thursday, and, and then it's mulled over over well, the weekend. Well, that's the point. That's the point I was going to make. The following week. Yeah, that's the point Whose I was going to make, that? and I think the teacher alluded to that in the last number of days as well. There has been heretofore, uh, since the onset of the pandemic, a number of days, probably too many days, between NEFIT meeting, uh, party leaders meeting. Cabinet COVID subcommittee meeting, cabinet meeting, and then a decision by um, by the cabinet itself. And ultimately, it's the government decisions which which get carry which carry obviously the the day. But the point is this: we're living in a twenty four seven news cycle uh, from seven a.m. in the morning right up till whatever time we're finished here this evening at half eleven thirty minutes to midnight. Right across yeah. multimedia, there's there's so much, well, there's well so many current affairs out there, and and also we have the fake news industry going yeah. on as well. Okay, that's, that's, you're, br you're bringing you're bringing lots of different things in here, but essentially, like when you look at at the the messaging from government, so so take Neffet to one side here on this. We had the Taoiseach coming out saying, when we reopen, we want to do so safely, we want to do so uh, slowly, and then we're going to stay open. Okay, that's what that's what he said, and we know what's happened now because all these restrictions have come back in. We have Norma not, not Foley many. on the on the masking around schools that this was mulled over, but essentially schools were given just and parents, families, and children were given just 16 hours to turn it around and to go into schools wearing masks. And since then, we've got new guidance, revised guidance that isn't a, as strict and doesn't. Require require uh, children to be sent home from school. Um, even even Leo Varadkar on the latest restriction saying they are peculiar. I mean, who, where's all that messaging coming from? Yeah, so look, I mean, whatever decision the government takes or whatever um, actions it wants to follow through on, it's always reserved the right, rightly so in my opinion, I think in everybody's opinion, to be able to tweak that. But whose and, fault and, is that? And Just on those specifically on, around that? that I, I, those, I wouldn't say it's anybody's fault. We're, we're dealing with a very fluid situation. We had the onset of Omicron. Uh, we have, you know, rising case numbers in the, in the age cohort. Uh, of school-going children uh, and the issue of masking was, was given as a recommendation. So, you know, th th there's a lot of moving parts to this. Uh, in the main, the government has got the vast, vast majority of the management of the pandemic right and uh, puts its hand up if it gets parts wrong and, and is prepared to stand up and change and adjust accordingly. I think that's, that's right and proper. OK, you've heard what uh, Niall Collins has had to say in this, this, this streamlining that is coming into effect. Um, what do you make of it? Do you think it's problematic to hear an effort official say one thing and then, you know, government minister is saying another? Well, I think the government themselves um, have acknowledged their own failures around mixed messaging, failure to communicate clearly, um, and I think that has been acknowledged. I don't feel that NEFIT uh, was an impediment to that. In fact, actually, 
uh, and no disrespect intended, the, the Minister for Health can hardly be considered a gifted communicator when it comes to explaining uh, very, very complex issues. But I have found very often members of NEFIT and people like Mary Favier, they've been really, really good at practically explaining where the restrictions came from, where the rules come from and why it's important Isn't it to Isn't easier to do that though from a medical point of view in a way because there aren't as many other agendas at play and you're not trying to please oh, a certain, I know. I think when, please when a certain it's, sector no, 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 or, no, no, or no. And I, I And to be fair, I wouldn't accuse the government of trying to, to, to please any agendas necessarily. I just think that sometimes the message is better received from uh, a public health professional. Public okay, so health do you doctor. think it's, it's, been, it's been done the right way to date where but at the start of this we had an effort come out and they basically took the press conference every day, took all the questioning and the government disappeared into the background on it because that, that's really how it played out. Yeah, and I think that there's that space, was that there's space for the political voices as well as the public health voices. What disturbed me about what happened this weekend uh, was that we had journalists tweeting that they had approached individual members of NEFIT. They had said that they were available, that when, but when they went through the government press office or the Department of Health press office, wherever they were referred to, they were then told that these people were not available. Now that to me says that someone's being gagged and that's a problem, I think. And that's a problem for, for not just for the government, but it's also a problem for us. I mean, we need to hear okay. from those public health doctors and the notion that they will be gagged yeah. is not acceptable. Was there clarity around that today? I think there were questions asked about that NEFIT officials were not available to, to programmes where, where they had been before because suddenly it went through government and it was a no? Well, the, the Taoiseach said he'll be looking into it. It was, it was news to him. I mean, they, they, NEFIT members will also do the interviews that suit them. You go looking for Tony Hull and Ron Lynn in the last two weeks to talk to you about antigen tests and how the public should be taking them correctly and they, they weren't available. That's what, that's what I was told, because that wasn't, that may have been official government policy, but Neffet's view seemed to be kind of different uh, on that. So there's not entirely, you know, there's no angels in, 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 mm. in, this, in this tale. Having said that, I mean, if you look at the past week, you'd have to say, let's put the public health officials to one side. Stephen Donnelly telling parents they can go out to the panto, but don't bring the kids. Just see for Madigan making up refunds for people for, for antigen tests uh, off the top of her head. I thought Regina Doherty was going to be um, uh, Louise's running mate in the next general election, that she joined Sinn Féin. She sounded like the leader of the opposition, not the leader of the Shannon the, the other day. Mm. So maybe the government needs to get their own house in, in order first yeah. before starting to pick on the public health officials, who ultimately, when you look at the, the Cantar poll in the Sunday Independent uh, at the weekend, the members of NEFA, the public health officials, they have a higher satisfaction rating, a higher trust level amongst the public than members of, of government do. Yeah. So it has suited government in the past to have the public health officials coming out there explaining why um, reg uh, restrictions are being put in place and now suddenly it doesn't. Tanishta himself comes out at the start of his press conference the other night said it's difficult for him to understand and explain to the public mm -hmm. why the restrictions are being put in place. Well then don't explain, Leo. Stick to your TikTok videos. Let Tony Holland come out and explain why these things need to be done. Okay, can you see there's a problem there, Niall, if you, if you say, you know, that we want to streamline things and we just want to make sure that everyone's on the same page and we want to brief, you know, NEFIT members before they go on radio or TV, that the public start going, okay, hang on a second now, you're stopping, you're stopping health officials from, from saying what's really happening. And that leads to a corrosion of trust. 
Yeah, I, 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 don't think, I don't think we need to fear about that. There'll be no attempt to stop any public officials speaking publicly about their decisions. And it would be improper. So hang on, the it, only it, thing that's changing then is what? Yeah, as I understand, well, there'll be more coordination, but also the, 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 the interregnum between government taking a decision and between NEFIT issuing its recommendations needs to be shortened because you have that space uh, of a number of days. So that's the government thing. Between, that's aside from between the, from NEFIT the issuing their recommendations. When a lot of people in the public are uh, hearing uh, public commentary and hearing discourse on programmes like this and others in relation to the recommendations, and then you have that number of days before government takes okay. a decision. And government, we, we have to remember, government has to balance the public health advice on one hand and societal uh, demands, demands of business, demands of yeah, people for, for, for society and community to remain yeah. open. So it's, it's that balancing exercise yeah. and trying to communicate the final decision then uh, clearly and succinctly okay. uh, based on the recommendations. From the outset on this, Louise, though, would you say that, that there seems to be kind of a nervousness around the message? So public health officials say one thing and then the government isn't necessarily entirely confident in putting to that, that to the people. Do you think that that's been an issue there? So then there have been tweaks, there have been changes, yeah. there have been, well, they've said this, but maybe this will happen. The guidelines are late in coming out and but, everyone's left I mean, further what, confused. What, what Niall has just said there uh, about tightening the time frame, that's not actually going to help. So the government had five days. Uh, if you just take the issue, um, the complete mess that was made out of mask wearing in primary schools, for example, they had five Five days to consider that. They gave parents and uh, school principals and education workers 16 hours. So I don't think time is the issue. I think it's very clear what happened. You know, we see that the government, and I mean, honestly, to good God, like irony, I, I just, they don't even, they're beyond irony at this stage. The government and the cabinet are now uh, apparently annoyed at leaking, which, you know, come on, from the cabinet that leaks like a sieve, they're now annoyed that there was a leak from Neffet and they've taken steps to stop that. So I, I think now they've tried to retrofit into it this notion that it was, uh, that, that, that somehow it's a streamlining things. It's really not. I mean, this is a move to ensure that, uh, you know, that the government message is the one that is dominant when actually we do need to hear from public health experts as well as politicians, but the public health experts shouldn't be silenced in this. Okay, that's all we have time for on, on that subject. My thanks to Fiona Sheehan, Niall Collins and Louisa Riley will be staying with us. And coming up after the break, the live events industry reacts to yet more restrictions on the sector. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG.
welcome back. The entertainment industry has been left scrambling for solutions as the government imposes a 50% cap on capacity, fully seated at live indoor events. Sinn Féin TD Louise O'Reilly and Minister of State for Skills and Further Education Niall Collins are still with me and we're also joined by singer Mary Coughlin and Artistic Director of the Project Arts Centre and Vice Chair of the National Campaign for the Arts, Keen O'Brien. Um, you're both very welcome along. Mary, to come to you first, I mean, I don't know how you even put in words. Um, I mean, these new rules now that you've been dealt with that come in at midnight tonight, a maximum capacity of 50%. So your audience essentially halved um, and fully seated. Uh, you know, how, how is it actually directly impacting you in terms I of the had tickets a, you sold? I had a gig doing? Uh, tonight. I should be in Galway. It was sold out. Um, and on the Friday morning after Omni, Omnicron was um, um, located and, and talked about on the news. Mm -hmm. um, 50 pairs of tickets uh, were handed back the next day. They wanted their money back. So effectively, two weeks ago, um, most of my concerts had already been cancelled. By people calling and calling and, yeah. and that's right across the board. So it's... And you can't... I mean, the last real gig that I did in Ireland was on February the 29th to 420 people in the Town Hall Theatre in Galway. It was my last sold out real proper gig without supports, without singing to nobody in a room, an empty room that was, you know. And it's just, I was absolutely devastated when, when but I knew it was coming before they announced it, you know, on Friday. And um, for my colleagues in the business and for, for people in theatre, for, for, but my band members, like they work maybe for two other people as well or three other bands, you know, and they just have nothing. They've got nothing left now. And they're all really young, really, really honest and moral people. They all handed back the pup. They just stopped. They just came off it. And the gigs were rolling in and we thought we were going to be okay and now it's gone, you know. So it's really not all right that there's no support because they all went looking for the pub today and they were onto their various uh, offices and community uh, services and they were asked for letters to prove that they were not working. So I had to go write down f five letters for the guys and they had to get them from all the other people they worked for as well. I mean, did nobody read the news, <laughs> you know? So there's a number of things that could be done and that aren't, that should have been done as in across the whole, lots of stuff from, from, from air filters to masks, you know, there's just mixed messaging everywhere. But like to tell people they can't go out and then to say, oh, Michal said this evening, I want to see people in theatres. I want to see the, the gigs full. I mean, like what, what is that about, mm. you know? Yeah, very hard to deal with as well when you're, you're, you've just rescheduled everything. That well, sector has waited so long to, to start up again. Yeah, but these new lot of gigs now have been rescheduled into April next year. So that gives you maybe some idea. If these people... I have no salary. The people I know have no salary. We don't have a salary at the end of every month. We don't have pensions. If they could walk in our shoes for one year, they would know what it's like to be a self-employed entertainer in this country. That's across actor, singer, um, dancer, whatever. Okay. It's, and we never moan. We don't have pensions. We don't have holiday money. We don't have sick benefits. 
and we don't moan, but we want somebody to look after us now because yeah. we have been asked to look after the population by not working for the past 21 months. And everything for you was about getting back on stage. I, I want to bring uh, Keen O'Brien in here, Artistic Director of the Project Arts Centre. And Keen, from your point of view, what do these new rules that are coming in at midnight mean for your venue, um, the plays that are on, it's the festive season. It's a really traditionally a very busy time for people to go out to, to enjoy themselves, to see a show. Uh, absolutely. And I suppose as of um, as of uh, midnight tonight, we're playing now to 100 people at Project Arts Centre. We have um, a new play by Emmett Kerwin, straight to video in the last week of its run. And since um, since the the talk of potential new restrictions and new restrictions, you know, bookings have really slowed down and, and, and you know, we're now having to deal with the impact of, you know, having to reschedule, uh, rebook people, manage people. And that we're one venue which, you know, has a, you know, we have 200 seats in our in our auditorium upstairs. If you can imagine what it's like for the the Gaiety Theatre, Cork Opera House, the Limerick Concert Hall, you know, these are these are much bigger venues that have to deal with hundreds of hundreds of audience members thousands of uh, thousands of euro it's a you know it's a huge challenge right across the sector yeah, on a practical level how are you doing that are you you know say you have booked more than 50 percent capacity on a given night as people do they book ahead for for shows at christmas are, are you cancelling the tickets refunding them and are people booking again or what way are you deciding who gets in I guess everyone has to decide in different ways. Uh, what what, uh, what we have done and what I've heard of colleagues doing across the sector is it's it's in the order people book. So, you know, if you booked early, uh, you will, I suppose, you first in will be will kept in and then the people who booked most recently, unfortunately, will be the ones who uh, who have to be rescheduled or else will have to be refunded. All right, OK. Well, look, I want to bring in um, Louise and Niall on this. And I suppose when you hear what Mary had to say, what Keen had to say, it's, it's really devastating for this sector that's waited so long to get back up and running again. What can you say, what Mary mentioned there, about supports um, for people and the fact that she had to, you know, verify that people were on her books before they could get a PUP payment that now isn't back in as, as of yet, even though there have been all the cancellations? Yeah, so the pop is back in tomorrow, and and I'm not an employer. I just they're self. We're self-employed sure. musicians, but they, you know they had to prove that the gigs were cancelled. Yeah, you know? I, look, I I think you're in a very very difficult situation. Yeah. We I, we know and we recognise that and we understand it, and we're trying to we're trying to support people and we're trying to work with people. Um, people apply for pop. They have. They have to prove, uh, give proof or validation. That's a normal practice across our social welfare code. Uh, social welfare should be obviously empathetic and be open to working with people. And if there was any issues with that, I'd be the first to call it out. Government um, met today, as you know, with yep. um, um, Minister Martin, the Taoiseach, the, the, the Tarnish, met with the, the sector. 25 million euros was made available uh, out of, for this year. There's also 25 million euros allocated for the arts and entertainment sector for next year. So that's a fund of 50 million euros. Catherine Martin is going to bring forward proposals to Cabinet. They're probably being worked on as we speak right yeah. now uh, in terms of uh, a sector-specific scheme for, for your sector, which is only right and proper. And pop, the, the PUP is being reinstated for people who are lose, who've lost their, or will lose their jobs as a direct result of the, the decisions which were taken last okay. week. So government has not been found wanting in terms of stepping up to okay. the plate government, and supporting the sector. Government not found wanting, Louise. Okay, so um, 
I think it's, there's a, an element of a bit of lastminute.com going on here. Uh, the We know, and I, I was, there were journalists tweeting about this earlier, that this package may not be ready for Cabinet tomorrow, that the details may not be there. That's very, very Now, is very this the pop payment you're talking about? Or no, the no, other, this, the is, other this is the package that, uh, that Niall was, was referring okay. to there. So we know that that may not be ready and the details, specific details, may not be available. I think that's really regrettable. You know, there are a lot of really, really hard-working people in the music and entertainment sector who have, they were banking on this Christmas to get them through to the next year. And it's not just the people that we see, and we love the people that we see, the front of house, Mary, absolutely, but it's not just those people. Yeah. It's all of the people in the background. I mean, for example, the band, the, the Mary Wallopers, they went out and bought a lot of merchandise off the back of a gig they thought they had. They are now saddled with that. They're trying, they're trying to sell it on just so they can make a few bob. You know, people have made investments. You can't just rock up, and I'm not presuming to tell Mary, because she will know, but you can't just rock up to a no. venue, turn up to the microphone and go, right, lights, camera, action, let's do this now. Huge amount of planning yeah. goes into it. There's an awful lot of jobs that are going to be impacted by this. The important thing is that those jobs are kept on life support so that they are available and that the sector yeah. is kept informed and not scurrying around looking for information okay. on social media. That's uh, not acceptable. Because I want to ask you this, Mary, um, because, I mean, the restrictions that are in place were till January 9th. What do you think is going to happen on January 9th? Um, I think that everybody probably knows what will happen. I, I, as, I, as I said, the gigs that I have this week and up until January the 8th are gone into March the 26th. They're starting. So I have no work in January and February and up until the 26th of March. That's whether or not the restrictions are lifted. And all of the people that I know in all of the bands and everything, mm. their gigs are just getting moved and slotted and into are, available, you and know. Is there availability then for next year? Because we're hearing that a lot of venues are booked up. They're booked out. On. My gig on the 20th out. of, uh, in tw the 1st of October 2020 is now at the 1st of October 2023. I'll be 69 when I get into Vicar Street. Okay, well, look, I, um, you know, I want to bring Keen in, Keen in again on this. Um, just in terms of, because people will be saying, and I think it's something that um, theatres have said, the mitigation measures are in place. You feel it was a safe space to begin with. Um, um, do you think that you could have safely remained open at, at fuller capacity? Uh, do you have difficulty with the decision that's been made by government on this one? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we have, uh, we have audiences coming in fully masked, fully seated, all facing the same direction. Uh, COVID certs are checked at the door. We are, you know, I suppose we're as we're uh, ventilation in the space. We're as fully compliant as we have we ha we can be and have been told. I suppose the 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 best mitigation measures to put in place have been put in place. So uh, I suppose it's it's a it's it's a very it's a very big challenge then for us to be told that you know we need to immediately put these uh, restrictions in place without any kind of clear roadmap back out of it and i think that's the you know the real challenge right across the sector is what is going to happen next as you were, as mary was just talking about there after january the 9th what what happens we respect that we are in the middle of a public health crisis but also we are an industry that needs to survive. It is on its knees at the moment. Okay, Niall, uh, we talked at the start about government communications, surely for this sector, just saying January 9th and putting that date out there yeah. is not helpful now. Well, J January 9th is out there in terms of uh, the, the restrictions which were reintroduced, I mean, run until January 9th, but I, I think we have- why that date? I, I can't speak to specifically why that date, it's past Christmas, but, but can I make this point? Um, look at where we are right now in comparison to where we were this time last year. 
we're in a far, far different space. Society hasn't closed down in the main, and, and I know there's Mary very legitimate... No, she's in exactly the same I know. Place. There's very legitimate... There's very, very legitimate in the main, I'm saying, Mary, and I'm recognising that you're in a, in a very difficult space and government is supporting. Over the Christmas period, um, there is normally increased socialisation. Yeah, uh, we have the no flu other. season. We've, Look, we've, we've I just Omicron. want to ask about the, the plan. But the, but the they point, want, yeah, and, yeah, and I'm getting to that. looking for a plan. So the, in the terms booster, of getting a strategy, booster, will there the be a plan? The booster vaccination programme is rolling out apace and will be rolling out apace right down through the age cohorts. So I would think, given the way that the numbers are going in terms of the, the positive reaction from, from, from the public and from our population, that we will be in a very good space come the 9th of January. And I think we can look forward to it optimistically. That's my own okay. personal view. Oh, right. What's so going to happen on the 10th of January? Not? I mean, this is, these are the questions that people want to know the answers to. But sure, Louise, are you going to be Louise, in it? But you need to neither you have a crystal ball sure, in front of you, you nor, nor do I. Could I just say to the that they will continue absolutely. for the duration Could I just of the pandemic? 50 million euros, 25 million euros now and 25 million euros. In France, they had a very interesting situation and there are now 250,000 people in receipt artists across the board from dancers, musicians, actors of an intervention scheme. It's been going since 1936. They've kept their artists afloat because they decided they couldn't live without culture, that French citizens must have culture and they have supported it since 1936. And there are still, 200, today, 250,000 people receive an adequate support to live. Okay. We'll have to leave it there. My thanks to Keen O'Brien, Louise O'Reilly and Mary Coughlin. Now, Collins will be staying with us and after the break, a storm Barra looks set to cause considerable destruction. How prepared are we for the big weather events? Stay with us. Welcome back. Now, Storm Barra is heading towards Ireland and is expected to cause a considerable level of damage and destruction right across the country from tomorrow. The Taoiseach spoke about the storm earlier. Tomorrow will be a very, very uh, difficult day from a storm perspective. I mean, it's, it's very, very serious. We would urge people to stay at home unless uh, it's necessary in terms of travel, particularly in the counties now concerned, to wa watch out for your weather alerts. Um, and I think it's very important that we get the message out there to the public at large that we are dealing with a very, very serious storm in Storm Barra uh, tomorrow and right into Wednesday. So how prepared are we to face this weather event and the inevitable extreme weather that's to come? Well, Minister of State for Skills and Further Education, Niall Collins, is still with us. And also in studio is environmental journalist John Gibbons. Uh, but first to Skype tonight, where I'm joined by Alan O'Reilly of Carlo Weather. And Alan, you're describing this storm as the real deal. Tell us, how bad do you think it could get? Yes, yeah, certainly, Claire, it's going to be a storm that's going to leave a mark we're looking at gusts in excess of 130 kilometres an hour in parts of the south, southwest and west. Sustained winds of over 100 kilometres an hour. And the, the real issue here is going to be the duration of those winds. You're looking at staying strong right through all of tomorrow and into Wednesday, which will unfortunately will end up causing some structural damage 
And we also have a mix then of heavy rain, even sleet and some snow for a time. Some coastal flooding is also unfortunately likely. Very cold temperatures. So really we have the combination here of a perfect storm arriving um, early tomorrow morning. So, you know, people will be up and out and about during the worst of the storm. So it, it really is going to be a very, very nasty spell of weather. Now, it's not necessarily usual for schools to close with an orange weather warning. Maybe uh, certainly a red alert in place would would prompt that. But people may be surprised um, at the speed at which the decision was made to close schools, close services off as a result of this storm. Is it is it different? Is there a sense that this one's different to others in the past? Yeah, certainly the weather models have picked up on the storm for a few days now and it really has developed kind of as it was expected, which unfortunately is a very serious storm. And many people will have heard of yellow and possibly even orange warnings in the past and thought really it wasn't that much of an issue. But this one does look like a different beast. It, it's really de- developing so quickly and it's going to, as I say, unfortunately come right over the centre of Ireland. The centre of the storm looks like coming into Galway Bay and then moving very slow across the country so it's again it's the duration of this it's not going to be something that blows through in a couple of hours and really and truly if you don't need to be out and about tomorrow um i I would advise don't um and that's probably why they've made that decision on the schools because really and truly in those orange and red counties you don't want to be out in 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 that weather unless you really really have to be yeah what do you think of met aaron's evelyn cusack describing it as a weather bomb Um, She said it's something that's been said in the States before, but it's being used here really for the first time, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think I used the term a couple of years ago and I I got a bit of uh, flack for it, but it it is more of a US term. Explosive psychogenesis is what they call it. It's when there's a sudden drop in in, in the pressure of the storm. Um, it, It kind of does give it a bit of a, I suppose, kind of you know, fun kind of word about it. And there's nothing fun about this storm, unfortunately. Um, It really is going to be the real deal. So whether people call it a weather bomb or just call it the the storm barra as its name has been given, um, either way, it it really is a serious storm. Okay, thanks for joining us and bringing us up to date on that, Alan. We appreciate it and stay safe tomorrow. Thanks, Claire. Mind yourself. Um, John uh, Gibbons, I want to come to you on this. Um, This is a big storm, the real deal, as Alan puts it. Um, We have those counties on red alert and indeed the counties that are on orange alert, we may see the weather warnings there escalate by tomorrow. Um, Do you think this is, you know, in terms of our preparedness and how set up we are for this, how is our infrastructure looking for such a weather event? Well, I think it's, it's difficult to say whether we're really set up for any of these events because each of them bring their own set of challenges. And and we've seen that, for example, if you go back to Storm Ophelia in 2017, uh, which is regarded as the easternmost major hurricane ever to make landfall in Ireland because hurricanes typically originate in the Caribbean, in the Northern Hemisphere, and they're not supposed to make it to as far east as Ireland. So that was one particular incident. We end up with, I think, about 70 million euros worth of damage from Ophelia. The projections were worse. They were up to a billion euros. So you often find that, that local and regional uh, circumstances mean that we don't know until it make land, makes landfall exactly how the storm will behave. So it really is difficult to say. I think what some of the dangers, for example, with big storms like this are storm surges for our coastal areas and particularly on the West Coast. Uh, and of course, one of the issues because we're in an era of, of climate change and rising sea levels, it means that storm surges like this are riding to our coast on elevated sea level. That means the likelihood of the storm, if you like, 
like being a supercharged event in coastal areas. So that's probably one of the places that we're going to have to look, uh, not just now, but in the future, at, at really ramping up our protection because these storms, they're coming in off the Atlantic and they're coming loaded with a lot more energy than they have had in the past, but also a lot more precipitation. We know, for example, that with every one degree centigrade of temperature rise, an extra 7% of water precipitation is held in the atmosphere. That means that bomb you described earlier that is loaded by the additional heating in the atmosphere. Okay, um, you know, a frightening, really, outlook on this one, Niall. Um, and we are used to winter storms, but it's the culmination of events and indeed what's coming down the line as well. For tomorrow, um, what sort of planning is in place? Um, have government officials now met with Met Aaron and officials right around the country in terms of, I suppose, measures in place to try and counter what's coming? Um, is the government confident that they're in place and that, you know, the, the destruction, the, the, there is some mitigation in place there? Yeah, so the, the National Directorate Fire and Emergency, um, the crisis management team met today. Um, that's a, a multi body, uh, agency body that gets together when we have events like this coming. It includes Metairn, the OPW, our local authorities and government departments. They would have met during similar events as we would have seen um, and they're continually learning. But there's plans, obviously, there's crisis management plans right across our local authorities in terms of dealing with events and communicating uh, messaging to, to the public in relation to how to behave and uh, what to do safely. I, I, for, for warned as for armed, obviously, yeah. um, there's been a lot of media commentary in relation to this today. I think people will take that messaging on board because we've, we've seen, obviously, the, the, the recent weather events over the last number of years and we've learned from them. Schools are closed across 12 counties, which is uh, the right decision. Um, you know, slow down, uh, eliminate as movement of public in as much as possible and keep people safe in their homes. And I think a key message also is when the storm does pass for the next couple of days after the storm, you, you know, you will have residual damage. There will be residual dangers there in terms of okay. um, items that become dislodged or, or may fall subsequently. So just to warn people and to remind people to be careful in the days after you know, it passes. Yeah, I'm just thinking of somewhere like Cork that they're saying, I mean, they are now in the red zone and it's already a city and a county that is well used to floods. And they say year after year, the defences aren't in place. We know what's going to happen. And then it happens. Like it's very, it's, it's so tough for people there. Um, just long-term thinking on this, are those plans in place to prepare not just for what's likely to happen tomorrow, but what John was pointing out to about these extreme storm surges and the, the heating of, of, of the planet and this plus one degrees and what that'll mean for the likelihood around storms and weather events such as this down the line? Yeah, so, and climate change is for real and, and these storm events uh, confirm that for us. There are climate change deniers out there, we know that. Um, but in terms of your question for flood defences, for example, the OPW um, is continually investing um, in flood relief schemes, in, in mitigation measures, in, in flood, in flood defences. That's a continual work in progress and, you know, it, it changes storms, uh, bring up uh, new areas in terms of where we have to create new flood defences. So it's a constant, constant battle against that. Yeah. OPW then will tell you themselves they have uh, challenges in terms of planning and objectors and, you know, some of these flood relief schemes take far too long uh, to actually put into effect and to put in, you know, to, to implement th than they should. And that's why the government was very keen, Michal Martin has done this. There's a complete review of our planning legislation underway now with the Attorney General central to that, where we're looking at reforming our planning legislation where a lot of uh, stuff like flood defences can be fast-tracked and rightly so.
you were mentioning now along the East Coast, for example, all the, the coastal rail lines there and the impact that, that these big weather events can have on them. How urgent do you think measures are required at this point um, to deal with, with such, um, such problems that we could face down the line? Well, we've seen over recent years and decades um, accelerated erosion on the East Coast. Our East Coast is, is it's quite soft relative to the West. Uh, it's, it's, it's largely clay rather than rock. We're seeing a lot of erosion on that. And the problem, of course, is we've got a lot of high value infrastructure, particularly our rail lines from Dublin down to Wexford. Uh, we already know, and that includes the Dart line from Dublin to, to Greystones. And that line is right in the firing line of coastal erosion. And this is happening because of much more active seas, stronger, stormier conditions. So. What we have to do is we're going to have to either defend this infrastructure at enormous cost or we're going to have to relocate things like our rail lines inland. Now, that's a massive job. It'll meet, as, as Niall said, all kinds of objections from all kinds of people. But the reality is, at the rate we're going, we're going to end up losing uh, coastal infrastructure like this. This also applies, Claire, to I mean, areas... How soon? I mean, you're saying that. How soon could something like this happen? Or would those huge decisions have to be taken? It's difficult to say. Um, weather, again, is a variable beast. We know that. But the underlying climate signal is amping up these events over time. And we know that, that this is the difficulty, that the, the projections for the future for example, the OPW are projecting uh, a maximum of a one metre sea level rise for Ireland by 2100. That's 80 years hence. Now, they may be right, but there are other projections which would see us hit that much, much sooner and potentially hit two metres or further by 2100. Now, a two metre sea level rise scenario for Ireland means largely abandoning our high value coastal infrastructure. That means large areas of cities like Dublin, Cork, Limerick, Galway, Wexford, will be largely lost. Mm. And I take it that's with the climate plan in place? Well, the climate plan is obviously the best that we can do here locally. This is a global crisis. However, of course, we're not simply going to abandon this high-value infrastructure. We're going to spend billions of euros defending what we can, but we're also going to have to make staged retreats because we're not going to be able to defend everywhere all the time. OK, it's a pretty frightening prospect, isn't it, Niall? Yeah, well... Climate change is for real. That's why the, the Climate Action Act was brought into effect. Um, it, it's a global challenge. We've seen the, the COP uh, summit recently uh, and all of the, the various actors in relation to that. So uh, we've signed up to our own uh, role in that in terms of the commitments that, we're, that we've um, committed ourselves to doing. And I think um, we, all, we all obviously have to get stuck in right across the different sectors. Uh, and at the same time, John is right, we, we're, we have to invest heavily in our, in our defences yeah. and in our coastal erosion uh, defences and the government does yeah. do that and our local authorities right. do that. Briefly before we go, um, people for profit have called for a stay home instruction to be in place tomorrow. We do have the red weather alert. Um, should that be issued by government? Yeah, so you have, um, you, you have the, the red and the orange alert across 12 counties and the Department of Education made, made this position clear in relation to schools there. And, what about and, everybody and, else? And though? our universities. Well, the, the, the message has been all along in terms of the pandemic to, to work from home okay. where at all possible with the storm? In, in any events. Um, look, it's between employers and employees, but common sense all has right. to dictate. OK, OK, we'll have to leave it there. That is it from us. My thanks to Niall Collins, John Gibbons and all of our guests who are on the show tonight. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. Our next news is on Ireland AM tomorrow morning. But from all the late team here, good night and take care.
This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.